act while a last-minute cascade of problems that ended with some unexplained engine trouble prompted NASA to call off the launch of its mighty new moon rocket this morning. It would have been the debut flight in NASA's Artemis project, a quest to put astronauts back on the moon for the first time since the Apollo program ended 50 years ago. Thrilled to be joined this afternoon by Paul Delaney, who is a senior lecturer and professor of physics and astronomy at York University in Toronto. He is an astronomer and a space exploration expert. Paul, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jalen. Nice to be here. Ah, it's, it's nice to talk to you again. So first off, uh, first off, first off, why has it taken so long? Like, what happened? Why did the, the why did the moon project end 50 years ago? Why have we not gone back to the moon? Oh, gosh. Uh, that's a long answer in 30 <laughs> seconds. The short answer is it was a mistake. Uh, yeah, it, it, politics, uh, at the time, President Nixon more or less concluded that uh, once Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin set foot upon the moon, been there, done that, yeah. don't need to spend money anymore, let's go deal with the Vietnam War. I mean, that, that, that's the 30-second oversimplified okay. answer, but it really was politics, and it was a mistake. We, we had all of the architecture at our disposal we could have had a moon colony we could have had industry on the moon back 45 years ago but instead we packed it up lost the plans and did other things what are the challenges now of of, of doing all of those things and getting back to the moon and, and getting uh, a platform set up and, and having it being a, a almost a a launching area or a pad well, we had to start from scratch. Yeah. Uh, if you follow back the history of the development of the Artemis project, you can arguably date it back 30 years. Mm. And every president in the last half dozen has given NASA a different set of directives. <laughs> and so NASA was sort of blowing in the wind. We're going to go this way. We're going to go that way. We're going to come back this way. And Finally, <laughs> we settled on, okay, Artemis and going back to the moon and then on to Mars. And that's been a pretty consistent story for the last five or six years. But it is that level of consistency that was lacking with NASA because, unfortunately, they are uh, at the behest of the political directives of the day. And as I said, every single president over the last half dozen had a different view of what NASA's priorities should be. Anyway, we've finally got the architecture in place. <laughs> There seems to be a lot of momentum yeah. building that will put us back on the moon and hopefully to stay in 2025, 2026. And from there, if the SLS system delivers as we are expecting it to do, Mars is in our sights. All right. So, Paul, why do we need Mars or why do we need the moon to get to Mars? Another great debate that could spend hours. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, the short answer is the moon is close. And if something goes wrong, mm. we can reach out and support the, the problem very easily. Mars is arguably between nine months and three years away if there is a problem. Because once you start going, you just can't turn around and come back. So that's, I think, the main driving uh, incentive to go to the moon. Let's practice. Just as we have practiced with the International Space Station, we have learned how to build architecture over the last 20 years that has been incredibly reliable. We have built international cooperation. There is fabulous science. There is more activity in low Earth orbit today than there has ever been. And the ISS 
can claim to be one of the main contributing mm. factors to this. The moon is only three days away, and if we can do what we did with ISS on the moon, you and I will see the benefits, science will see the benefits, and we will learn how to go to Mars and mm. live on Mars. So that, that's the main argument. Other people, of course, will come back and say, you know, been there, done that, let's go to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't want that political discussion to start up again. I, we're going to the moon. Let's do that. Let's get there. Let's establish ourselves, and then let's go on to Mars. And Paul Delaney joining me this afternoon. Can you break it down for me? We know that uh, this Artemis program is in stages. Uh, today was supposed to be the launch, really, of stage one, and it was unmanned. Uh, can, you, can you tell us how this was going to work over the course of the next couple of years? So once Artemis 1 launches, and it will launch, and assuming that its architecture lives up to specifications, that is to say we have a fully successful Artemis 1 mission, then two years from now, basically the same architecture will be used with four people in the Orion capsule, one of whom will be a Canadian astronaut, mm. and they will fly to the moon. They will do, in essence, what Apollo 8 did in December of 1967, uh, December of 1968. I get my years right here. Uh, so December of 1968, Apollo 8 flew three astronauts around the moon. And we hope to do that with Artemis 2 about two years from now. And that will then set the stage for Artemis 3 about a year after that. So 2025, 2026, somewhere in there, where there will be at least two people, if not four people, who will land on the surface of the moon. And as NASA is keen to tell you, it'll be the first woman on the moon mm -hmm. and the first person of color. Okay, here, here's <laughs> maybe it's a, an easy answer, but I'm like, why do we need three shots at it to get someone on the moon when we've done it 50 years ago? Uh, nobody remembers what we did 50 years ago <laughs> in terms of the technology. Okay. <laughs> uh, again, let me uh, draw on history. If you go back to November of 67, that was the Apollo 4 flight, an uncrewed, full-dress rehearsal of the Saturn V, the first time the Saturn V, the moon rocket, flew as a unit. And NASA did exactly what they're doing with Artemis One. They wanted to make sure the darn thing was going to work uh, before they put people on top of it. And so that's what Artemis One is all about. And 50 years ago, the technology was completely yeah. different to what we have today. So Artemis 1 is essential to be able to put the architecture in place, make it work, and let's see what surprises come out of it, and then we will be confident to do Artemis 2. Uh, so what happened today? Why did they have to pump the brakes on what happened today, uh, on, on the launch today? Well, there were a myriad of little things that went wrong or, or at least cropped up and they needed to deal with. But the big one was what we call the engine chill. And so the four engines at the bottom of that big orange fuel tank is what drives the core stage into orbit. So that, that's the real powerhouse. These are the engines, if you will, from the shuttle system. So we know a great deal about these engines. Before you start literally flooding them with cryogenic fuel that's minus 180 degrees Celsius, you have to cool the engines down so they don't become thermally shocked. And they started doing that. Only three of the engines responded to that chill process as was expected. So basically, mm. they have one engine that wasn't temperamental. It was temperamental. It just wasn't doing what they were expecting. And NASA, as you can well imagine, doesn't want to fly with just three engines. What's that other engine up to? So there was no question. Once they fig once they decided that they could not chill it to the right circumstances for launch, they basically said, we need more time mm -hmm. to understand this. Is it a big issue? NASA, I think, is saying no, uh, because 
it, it could be the engine, but they think it's the plumbing leading to the engine. <laughs> and basically getting enough of the cryogenic fuel in the right time frame to chill the engine to the right specification. So they're collecting the data. They're going to come back and have a good close look at it tomorrow. There will be what they call a launch readiness review. And then tomorrow evening we'll be told <laughs> whether or not they can achieve flight for this Friday or the following Monday or if a more substantial investigation has to happen, in which case it'll push to the end of September, maybe even October. Okay, Paul, one more question before I let you go. You know, you talked about uh, when it's when it finally becomes manned that there will be a, a Canadian astronaut on board. There is a big Canadian contribution to this project. Uh, Canada Arm 3 going to be involved. That's exactly right. So the Lunar Gateway is basically the ISS, the International Space Station, in lunar orbit. It'll be about a fifth the size of ISS, but nonetheless, it will be a permanently occupied station that will allow astronauts to fly from Earth to the gateway hang there, chill there, whatever, and then go down to the lunar surface. And so it will act as this way station. And of course, like every other major U.S. human mission for the last 40 years, Canada will contribute the Canada arm. So all on the shuttle, all on the ISS, and now all on Lunar Gateway. And it is that contribution, our expertise in robotics, that has allowed a Canadian astronaut to gain a seat on Artemis II. Love it. Paul, I could talk to you all afternoon.